Welcome to the Donnacloney Parish Podcast. We're an Anglican Evangelical Church committed to glorifying God, preaching the gospel, and making disciples. Now study and think through uh, these truths that he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come to judge the living and the dead. Well, it is a great uh, it's a great to be with you. Although there's not loads and loads of folks here tonight, but it's great to be studying the Apostles' Creed, uh, this great statement of biblical facts and truths. And as I said, tonight we're going to look at the phrase, He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come to judge the living and the dead. Truths that are often dismissed or ignored or attacked or mocked from both those inside and those outside the church. Because the ascension of Jesus, Jesus rising back to heaven, him going back to his father's side is often dismissed as if it's an outdated belief. It's as if that this is another one of Elon Musk's rocket launches going off from Mount Zion, shooting up into, or Mount Olive, should I say, shooting up into heaven. But the heavenly session, what we call the, the ascension of Jesus' reign, seems to be ignored in the story of Jesus as some irrelevant footnote. And the return of Christ to judge the living and the dead, well, that seems to be attacked as narrow-minded fundamentalism, a dogma that is totally different than God's love, as if you can't have God's love and God's judgment in the same sentence at all. And so let's pray tonight that we would listen in and we would study these passages that we've read tonight, and we would think through what it is we need to learn. So let's pray at home and here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've made us, you've made yourself known to us through your Son, by your Holy Spirit. Grant now as we pray, open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to see you, and open our hearts to love and follow you. For this we ask in the name of who died for us and rose again, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, hopefully by now, uh, you've gone through uh, at least four or five weeks of studying the Apostles' Creed. Hopefully as you look at the Apostles' Creed, and even if you've got a sheet here, you will see that the Apostles' Creed is split into three. It's split into what we believe about God the Father, which is actually the, probably the smallest bit of the Creed, and then... The major part of it is the middle section that's about Jesus, because a lot of the heresies, uh, whenever they're writing the Apostles' Creed, a lot of heresies today come from our misunderstanding of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And then there's this small bit at the end about the Holy Spirit and the church. Well, tonight, our teaching finishes off the middle part before we go into that third part. It's teaching about Jesus. And I think it's helpful if you look at that middle section, if you can kind of think of it like a V-ship. It's like a V-ship where we're told we believe that Jesus Christ is, is God's only Son, our Lord. So he was always there with God the Father. He's always been. So this is Jesus in heaven. And then we, we say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he was born, he came down, he humbled himself, came down to earth. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. There's the lowest point. He's dead. And then as we think of this part where he rises again, 
We're thinking not only of the resurrection, but we're thinking of his ascension. It's going back into heaven. And now at the top part, we're going to be thinking of him being seated at the right hand of the Father and then coming to judge the living and the dead. And as my daughter was asking me, what way will Jesus come back again? Will he come back as a baby? No, he won't. He will come back in all his glory. He will come back in all his glory. And we will see, we will see, first of all, in our passage that we're looking at tonight, we're going to be thinking of the ascension. We're going to be thinking of the ascension. He ascended. So Jesus comes to us to bring us back to God. And Augustine puts it like this. He's talking about this part of the wave. I'm sinking down into the earth. It says, it says, so far as human pride sunk us, that nothing but divine humility could raise us. So in our human pride, we sunk ourselves in our sin. So that Jesus humbling himself, God humbling himself to be born and to live and to die for us, could raise us. But where does the ascension fit into this kind of ship? Well, the ascension is on the upward slope. It's here. It's here. It marks the final part of the upward curve. Jesus, having risen and ascended, appeared, should I say, appeared to his disciples. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 at the start, after he'd said this, after he commanded them to go and make disciples, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And you can almost picture the scene of the disciples gazing up to the place where Jesus has been. They're looking up into the sky, hoping beyond hope that that cloud that had hidden them from their sight would pull back and they would see Jesus. But the cloud moves and the person that they'd given their life to for at least over three years is not there anymore. Jesus is gone. So the fact of the ascension, it, it can seem a wee bit worrying at part because it it marks the end of something in a sense of loss. Jesus, in some ways, is not there. It's an absence. But if we look at what happens next in Acts 1, we see the disciples are challenged by two heavenly messengers, by angels. Verse 10, it says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee said, why do you stand here looking up to the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The point of these words is to say, Jesus' ascension is not the end of the story. It's not an excuse to down tools and say, that's the story of Jesus all over. Now we can go back to our normal lives. No, we're told Jesus has ascended into heaven until that day when he will come again in all his glory. And in the meantime, we, the disciples, have a job to do. Jesus said, chapter one, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the ascension is good news for us. It's the commission of Jesus' disciples. The commission of you and me to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit. John 16, Jesus says, verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
And so having said this, we might think, well, is the ascension some kind of swap? You know, that we lose Jesus, but we gain the Holy Spirit? Well, that can't be the case because we don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. One God. And the Holy Spirit's job is to be the Spirit of Christ. He's there to make the Son known. Because of Jesus' ascension, the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, can be known in a new and more intimate way. You see, what appears to be the absence of Jesus is actually a new kind of presence. Because the ascension is, as the angels say, the taking of Jesus into heaven. It's his exaltion to the right hand of the Father. So it's not Jesus shooting up to a particular place because God is not in one place at one time. So when we speak of Jesus ascending to the Father's side, we're talking about Jesus entering into God's dominion over creation. Well, why is the ascension good news for us? Why, why do we say we believe he ascended into heaven? Why is that such good news? Well, it's because through it, Jesus gives us the gift of his spirit. His renewed presence as the sovereign Lord by his spirit. And I want to pause there and move just to something else for a moment. Because not only does Jesus give us the gift of his spirit, he also gives us a future. What do I mean by that? Well, remember Jesus ascends. He ascends as a human being, a real human. And now in heaven, he is reigning fully God and fully human. And so we must not think of the ascension as Jesus kind of like a snake shedding its skin and him going up uh, uh, into heaven. No, Jesus doesn't lose his humanity as he ascends into heaven. Actually, his humanity is now glorified and raised to the heights of God's throne. That is to say... In the ascension, and, and let's get our heads around this one, God has made room in himself for man. The ascension is not just the return of God to God, but the exaltation of the God-man to his rightful place of glory, the place that humanity was destined for. Why Adam and Eve were able to talk with God in the cool of the evening, it is that humanity is right in there in the midst of of the Godhead. As a 5th century anthem for Ascension Day puts it like it, flesh hath purged what flesh had stained, and God the flesh of God hath reigned. See, Jesus bears our humanity back to the Father. Jesus brings our humanity to its true end. The restoration of the image of God in us that was tainted by the fall. Christ's humanity is taken into heaven, and so our humanity in sense belongs there too, and is already with him there. Our lives, says Paul in Colossians 3, verse 3, are hidden with Christ in God. And so in the ascension, Christ's glory is both concealed and revealed, so too Christ's glory in us is both concealed and revealed as we wait to that day that he comes again. For when Christ returns, we shall be like him. We should be like him. Then we, secondly, the heavenly session. What I mean by that is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. 
We'll come back to Christ's return in a moment, but first of all, there's some setting down to think about here. We say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So what did Jesus do after he ascended? He sat down. He sat down. Now the language of the creed here can be a little bit confusing. We are to believe in Jesus' ascension as a visible historical event. But the language of Jesus sitting at God's right hand, well, it's symbolic. Because there's no celestial chair in which Jesus is sitting on. Now what this means is, what Jesus sitting down means, is that the saving work that he'd come here on earth to do is now finished. Think about it like this. When you've done a hard day's work, whether it's shopping or you've been out in the garden or you've been at work, what's the one thing you want to do? You come through the door, you see your favourite armchair, your sofa, and you just want to get your posterior to a seat. You want to sit down. The day is done. That's what it means here. And that's how Hebrews 1 speaks of Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, after he had died and risen again and he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus came to this world and became flesh to deal with sin, to secure forgiveness. And on the cross, he bears our sin. He dies our death in our place as our substitute that he might provide a basis on which a holy God could forgive our uncleanliness, our unrighteousness. And then he sits down. He rests from his finished work of sin bearing. But this truth reminds us that Jesus' rule is ongoing. His work of providing a way of salvation is finished, yes, but his rule on the throne of God is still ongoing. He now sits enthroned as ruler of all things. I'm going to play a wee bit of pub quiz tonight. I wonder if you know which passage is quoted most of all, from the Old Testament into the New. What can you guess? No. Old Testament passage into the New. From the Old Testament into the New. All right, I'm going to give you it. Here it is. I didn't know this until I looked it up, so I'm not any smarter. It's Psalm 110, verse 1. Let me read it to you. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That was a prophecy of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus now sits at the Father's right hand. He is now ruling as Savior and Lord. And it's a wonderful truth because it means that our birth, our life, our death is ordered and governed by Jesus Christ. The one whose hands and sides still bear the marks of him laying down his life for us. He's ruling over all things. And whether we're a believer or not, this truth can be challenging. Because if you're not a believer, 
If you're not a Christian, it means that you're on the wrong side of history. And when Christ comes again, it'll be too late to get that one right. And so can I beseech you? Can I really beseech you? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him your life. Trust in his finished work on the cross. God has exalted his son to the throne of heaven and he is the one that we have to deal with, if I can put it that way. He is the one to whom we must come for forgiveness. There's no other way into heaven. For peace with God, for eternal life. We can no more avoid that truth than we can avoid the air that we breathe. And here's the challenge, not just for the non-Christian, but also for a Christian. Jesus' lordship is a challenging truth for a non-Christian, but also for a Christian. Because I wonder if we're always happy that Jesus is our Lord. We're very happy for him to be a saviour, but him ruling over every area of our lives? I don't know about you, that one doesn't sit well with me sometimes. Because if Christ is to be Lord, what I need to do is take down the selfish flag that I've erected at the center of my life where I say, I rule here, and I rule here, and I rule here, and Jesus, I don't want you to touch that, and Jesus, I don't want you to touch that, and Jesus, I don't want you to touch that. Let me explain that a little bit as I explained to you about the rectory garden. Our garden at the rectory exists in two states. Sometimes it's neat and tidy, but most of the time it's like a jungle. During lockdown, Lisa and I went at it. We cleared the moss, we cut back the weeds. We even went as far as starting potting plants. It looked amazing. I have to say, quite proud of it. It's looking good, love, wasn't it? But then, but then, we went on holiday. And we came back to moss everywhere, weeds everywhere, brambleweed everywhere. All the potted plants, nearly all of them had died. It was a disaster. And I wonder if our spiritual lives resemble the rectory garden. Because ignored, all kinds of weeds and the moss can grow there. Jesus put it in the parable of the sower, didn't he, in Matthew 13. The seed falling among the thorn refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, unless we're inviting Jesus to be the Lord of our lives and allowing the Spirit to do his work of sanctification in our hearts, of making us more like Jesus every single day, then surely those weeds of our own lordship will start to take over. Over our time, over our money, over how we respond to that family member, that husband, that wife, that parent, that child. And if that's something that applies to you, as it applies to me, then can I encourage you tonight, tonight not to waste time about it, but tonight, to hold up to Jesus those things you know that aren't right and ask him to reign over each one of those as you repent.
He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And finally, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus' resurrection ascension is not just the enthronement of Jesus. It's actually advance notice of the end. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. We hear it again in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, the Bible says a day is coming when the one who died and risen and reigns, he will come again with all glory and power to judge the living and the dead. That means even if you die, you can't get out of it. Elijah tonight read for us from the apostle Peter. And Peter knew that people mocked and laughed at this idea of Jesus coming again to judge the living and the dead. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors die, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You say to your friends, God will come back to judge you. They'll laugh at you. Where is he? Where is he? Where's this judgment you keep talking about? Where is he coming back? They've been doing it every, ever since Jesus rose again. But Peter encourages readers and us to be assured to trust the God who began everything. He will also bring everything to a close. And the only reason there seems to be a delay is actually a good thing. And we are here today over just, just over 2,000 years since Peter wrote these words. And we're only here because God is patient. God is patient. He is patient to bring about the promised end. But that day will come, says Peter. Look at verse 10. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Lay bare before Jesus, the judge. Then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But how we enter that new heaven and new earth is by trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And so this evening, let me encourage you to take hold of Christ's promises for yourself. And know the assurance that on that day, he will gather us to himself. See, Jesus is our beginning. He will be our end as well. That is a sure hope that gives us deep encouragement. We don't know when the end of COVID will be. But if we die in the midst of it, we know we'll be with Christ. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan, John Bunyan. If you haven't, read it. Great book. And in it, there's a character called Mr. Stanfast. He says these words. The thoughts of what I'm going to, the thoughts of what I'm going to, lies a hole at my heart. But what do we do as we anticipate Christ's return? Well, Peter says, verse 11, 
Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. We are to live our present lives in the light of the truth of that future hope. Because the waiting for Jesus to come to judge the living and the dead is not just a waiting marking out time. It's not like just like at least a waiting for me to come, up, come to the car. It's not the way it works in most families where the men wait for the women. It's usually Lisa out in the car ready and waiting for me as I run back in as I forget. And she's there going, come on, come on. That's not the waiting here. It's not marking out time. It's not the twiddling of thumbs, the getting through another day. Now you see, nothing we do in God is wasted. Nothing is lost. Everything is orientated to that sure and certain hope that we read about here. To this end, to this purpose of the return of Christ. And that means in Jesus, no piece of work you do in his name is a waste of time. No encouraging word you say to your friend. No letter or email you write to somebody with a Bible verse. No prayer, no hour spent with somebody sharing the gospel with them is spent in vain. No relationship you strike up with people as you try to share the gospel with them is empty of value because Jesus has appointed us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Here are truths not to be seen as dusty, theological, or ignored, or attacked, or laughed at, or mocked but truths that are to be loved and adored, that lie a coal, that lie a glowing coal to our hearts. Christ has ascended for our sake. He has sent the Spirit to make his presence known. Because Jesus Christ sat down in heaven for us, we can be assured of his completed work and his ongoing rule. And because Christ will come again to judge, we can know in him real purpose for our lives. Of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Donnelly Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donnacloney Parish, please check out our website www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk or find us on social media.